Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. Let's take a different look at the Quirinius census conundrum. Quirinius, also called Cyrenius, was a military leader and Roman consul in Central Asia Minor, and later imperial legate of Syria Cilicia from the years A.D. 6 to 9, where Jewish historian Josephus notes that, as governor, he conducted a census. The census decree, enrollment, or registration, at the time of Jesus' birth, referred to in the Gospel of Luke, isn't, however, recorded historically. But Christians believe it probably took place under a kind of extraordinary command authority Quirinius possessed during his military maneuvers in Cilicia, or possibly during a brief earlier stint as governor in Syria from 6 to 4 BC. Luke 2, 1-7 Governor Quirinius In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There are many characters in the story that we could look at. Governor Quirinius. Luke likes to give historical context. He points to the big names. We've already heard about Herod. Here we have Caesar Augustus, biggest name from an earthly perspective in that time for those people. Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. These are all people of power. Big names, and yet something's happening among backwater people who come from a backwater town who simply respond to the exigence of a governor. He sends out a decree for a census. His decree is to maintain his power, to be in control, to think about leveraging tax money for the Roman occupation. What he doesn't know is he is actually working out God's plan. The long-awaited birth of the Messiah was to be in Bethlehem. And there needed to be some work to get the carrier of this son, Mary, to Bethlehem. The Spirit had been over her in Nazareth. And Joseph, the one who would normally go to the census, brings Mary along, which is nonsensical given the closeness of her due date. We assume that he does this to protect her because at this time, Mary would have begun showing in pregnancy. Maybe a member of the family would have, in vengeance to protect the honor of Joseph, gone about removing Mary from the family. They come to Bethlehem. Historically, we've called this place an inn, but it's really just a guest chamber. The Greek word is kataluma, which is really just the guest room. Comes up a lot in different passages in the scripture, but a guest room where people would have stayed. And so maybe this was someone that Joseph knew. Certainly, it's a hospitality culture, and they would have invited travelers. For whatever reason, there was no space in this guest room, and so they are put into the place of a stable. The stable that was connected to this four-pillar house in Bethlehem 
would have had a living room on the other side, a kitchen in between. And this is where stall animals were kept, not field animals. These were the essential animals for banquets and sacrifice. Very interesting picture that we get here. The so what of this passage is a reminder that the sacrificial lamb himself, the one who will take away the sins of the world, is born in the right place. He's born among the sacrificial animals. Not an accident. Something that God has given to show the wonder of how he operates in this world. The now what is to remember the way of the Savior. It's a downward way. He owns nothing. He has no particular place to be born except in Bethlehem. He has no place to lay his head, he will say later. He owns nothing of his own. He lives a life of downward mobility. But he does this all in peace because there's nothing that holds him back on this earth. He is one who's been liberated from the things of this earth. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The year of Luke's enrollment. Today's challenge. Luke is mistaken when he says that Jesus was born during the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, Luke 2.2. That census happened in A.D. 6 or 7, which was long after Jesus' birth. Today's defense. There are multiple solutions, some of which are presented here. First, the word for first in Greek, prote, can mean before. Taken this way, Luke would be saying that this was a census before the famous one in AD 6 or 7. Second, if prote is translated first, this implies there was a second census under Quirinius. The second census would need to be famous for Luke to point out that Jesus was born during the first one, and the second census may have been the famous one in A.D. 6 or 7. Third, the event may not have been a census. Luke says that it was an enrollment or registration, in Greek, apographe. This may refer to an event in 3 or 2 B.C., the year of Christ's birth, when the people of the Roman Empire acknowledged their allegiance to Augustus Caesar, except for a few thousand Pharisees who Josephus records refused the oath. See Antiquities of the Jews, 17.2.4. Augustus himself mentions this in an inscription stating, In my 13th consulship, that is 2 BC, the Senate, the Equestrian Order, and the whole people of Rome gave me the title of Father of my Country, Res Geste Divi Augusti 35. Fourth, if the event was a census, the basis for dating it to A.D. 6 or 7 is based on Josephus's statement that the event occurred in the 37th year of Augustus Caesar's victory over Antony at Actium, or A.D. 6 or 7, Antiquities of the Jews, 
2, 1. However, internal indications in Josephus's text suggest he was confused regarding when this event happened. See Andrew Steinman. Luke, writing around A.D. 59, was closer in time to the events than Josephus, who was writing around A.D. 94. The events were more important to Luke than to Josephus, indicating a greater likelihood that his date was correct. Finally, Quirinius's career is uncertain. Luke says that he was governing Syria, using the Greek word hegemonuntos, not that he had the formal title governor. This event could have fit different places in his career. Tip. See Jack Finnegan, Handbook of Biblical Chronology, 2nd Edition, and Andrew E. Steinman from Abraham to Paul. When Quirinius was governor of Syria, Jesus was born during the time when Quirinius was governor of Syria. People interpret Luke chapter 2 to say that the census took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria, though most biblical scholars will place that at 6 AD. It could have been that Quirinius had a leadership position, though he wasn't the official governor. He had a military leadership position and still had that title de facto when Jesus was born before 6 AD. Or the Greek protos in Luke 2.2 can be read, N.T. Wright endorses this view, this was the census that took place not when Quirinius was governor of Syria, but before. So before 6 AD, and that would place it in the correct time frame when Jesus was born. The reign of Quirinius, we're looking at supposed contradictions of scripture. So the popular handbook of archaeology in the Bible, just a wonderful resource, on page 154, and we're looking at the reign of Quirinius, seeing if it's got any contradictions to it. Luke records that Jesus' birth occurred during Quirinius' reign over Syria, while Matthew documents it as occurring during Herod's reign. However, Tacitus and Josephus have Quirinius beginning his reign in Syria in 6 AD, 10 years after Herod's death. And the governor of Syria from about 7 BC to about 4 BC was Quintilius Verus. Varus turned out not to be the most reliable leader, something that later became abundantly apparent in AD 5 when he suffered the loss of several thousand soldiers in Germany in the Battle of Teutoburger Forest. By contrast, Quirinius was a superb military leader who was able to settle the rebellion of the Homandesians in Asia Minor. Augusta entrusted Quirinius with the delicate political situation in Israel, effectively superseding the authority and governorship of Varus by appointing Quirinius place a special authority in this matter when it came time to begin the census about 8 or 7 BC. So he really was reigning. The translation of Luke 2.2 should read, the census took place before Quirinius was governing Syria probability that Quirinius was governor of Syria on two different occasions also cannot be ignored. And that's what I had read previously in other historians and resources. Once while prosecuting the military action between 12 and 2 BC, and then a second time beginning about 6 AD. This proposal is actually corroborated by a Latin inscription discovered in 1764 that has been interpreted to refer Quirinius as having served as governor of Syria on two occasions. Regardless of solution one accept, insistence that Luke must be an error here is hardly necessary as he argues. And I'll tell you, people have been converted to Christianity after studying Luke and trying to prove him wrong. He's that accurate. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me.
Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.